Greetings, everyone. This is Chris Hislop from the Montana World Affairs Council. Welcome to What, So What, Now What, where we connect you with an international expert on the issue of the day. And in just five minutes, you become the expert. I am very pleased to welcome friend, colleague, multilateral affairs expert, and Sudanese, Ms. Rania Dagash, to the show. Rania, welcome. How are you doing? I am well, Chris. It is a pleasure to be with you. I, I might also add in that introduction that Rania is my daughter's favorite auntie. Um, so it's great to see you again, Rania. Now, um, Sudan has been in the news quite a bit lately, not just in the past days, but in the past months regarding a coup and counter coup and protests. Rania, I wonder if you could help our viewers understand what's going on in Sudan and how it affects us. Well, thank you, Chris, and thank you um, for the opportunity today. Um, I will go straight to it. I think I'd like to start by saying that the Sudanese people are an incredible people. We are a people and a country with incredible potential, whether it's agricultural, you know, um, uh, or economic. It has the potential to be a source of stability and a breadbasket for the entire region. It's a country that's been extremely generous and has hosted millions of refugees from Ethiopia, Eritrea, Syrians, and, and more recently Afghans. So, and it has been cut off from the world for a very long time because of the former regime. Now, a turning point in Sudan has been the 11th of April, 2019, when the former president, Omar al-Bashir, was overthrown by a popular revolution. I won't go into the details of that, but I will say that it was a 30-year period characterized by massive human rights violations, torture, and conflict that killed over a million people. Um, and that this revolution came from the youth. Uh, the, it, it is the third revolution in Sudan's history since independence. And I think it's important to say that because it is not a new Arab Spring. Um, and many protesters actually reacted to that quite violently. But what happened on the 11th of April is that 10 generals from the military stepped in to support the civilians and remove the president. And a transitional military council came into place. That stayed on until September 2019 when a transitional government was put in place. It has a prime minister, a cabinet, a sovereign council that oversees and supports the government composed of military and civilians and a legislative council, which is MIA. It's still very absent. And it imbalances the status of, of power, I would say, in Sudan today. Now, the guarantors of a lot of the context today, Chris, are civil society. Civil society through a coalition that formed uh, the Forces for Change are the main ones. Um, and they have been critical in driving the shift in Sudan in a more organized manner. We have a constitutional declaration. We have a new Juba agreement that brings in armed groups and um, a transition that should end by elections in 2024. Okay, why does this matter to Montana and to the people there and to the US at large, I would argue? Um, the US and Montana, through forums like the Montana World Affairs Council, are beacons of democracy. They're dedicated to fostering global understanding, awareness, and extending support to ensure the democracy is at the heart of transformation across the world. And so 
it is in your interest and in everyone's interest, um, really, in, in this country, that we do have a fair and democratic world where human rights are upheld, that we're all safe and we can prosper economically. And Sudan has the potential to be that narrative. It is that evidence of success based on its potential that can lead to economic revival. That means less migration across the world because youth would want to stay and find jobs. It would mean more security because as a, as a failed country, we continue to be, um, we continue to have the potential for breeding terrorists and, and breeding insecurity in the region and worldwide. And uh, the former regime uh, certainly supported some of that. So it is quite critical that we are able to, to support Sudan at this critical juncture. I'll quickly go into what you can do um, for Sudan. Advocacy is at the heart of this because we do need the support of the US government and institutions like yours. We need it to politically continue to shore us up, to safeguard civilian rule, to get us to elections and to help us on this um, transformation, uh, democratic transformation route. We need support with advocacy with the Department of State and Congress. They have been extremely positive about support to Sudan. That's my timer, Chris. Um, but I just have one more point to make. And that is that the US as a permanent member of the United Nations continue to support the UN's work in Sudan with the civilian government in getting us to elections. But I also believe in the power of exchange. And Chris today is, is a friend and, um, and engaged in Sudan because he served there. He met the Sudanese people and he lived there. I believe in the power of exchange between our institutions, twinning schools and universities, supporting our civil society revive itself because you know how to do it as well. So please extend and, and finally, please visit. Thank you. Rania, thank you so much for that incredibly succinct uh, wrap up of what's going on in Sudan. And thank you also um, for, for coming onto our show. Uh, I did in fact live uh, three and a half of some of the best years of my life in Khartoum and I would gladly go back in a moment. Um, I couldn't uh, say anything you know, uh, more about Sudan and the Sudanese people that you haven't already said. Lovely, friendly, warm, engaged. Um, and thanks a lot for letting us know also what we can do as concerned citizens. Rania, thank you for joining the show. And to all of our viewers out there, thank you as well. See you soon. Bye-bye.